Greetings to all our brethren around the world, and welcome to all our guests here with smiling faces and big tummies. No, you had. Uh, hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, wonderful meals. We enjoyed the beautiful weather and the wonderful turkey dinner. Today's comic strip, uh, Family Circus. I don't know if you saw it. Two little boys are talking about their Thanksgiving, and one little boy says to the other, "My uncle Ed used to be addicted to eating leftover turkey after Thanksgiving dinner, but he quit cold turkey." <laughs> so. Two ways you could look at that. The turkey is cold, and they quit cold turkey. But after our Thanksgiving dinner Thursday night, uh, I was looking up in the skies. I hope, I don't know how many of you saw it, but uh, Venus is just shining brilliantly on the southern sky. Right above it is the planet Jupiter. Have any of you seen that? Just uh, only a handful of you. Look up into the heavens. It says uh, Psalm one night, no Psalm nineteen. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, his handiwork. I hope you get to see it after the storm clouds dissipate in the next couple of days uh, to see that conjunction of uh, Venus and then Jupiter. It's very beautiful. Of course, here on Earth, uh, we don't see such beauty. There is continuing violence, as we heard the announcements in Mumbai, India, with 190 people killed after militants attacked uh, two luxury hotels and a Jewish community center. But in spite of all the turmoil in the world, we do have much to be thankful for. And wherever our brethren are around the world, we can have peace of mind. But I want to ask you today, what are you thankful for today on God's Sabbath? I want to explain to the brethren around the world that uh, here in the United States, Thanksgiving is observed on the fourth Thursday of November every year. And Canada also observes a national Thanksgiving Day. And this year, in 2008, it occurred on Monday, October 13th, the day before the Feast of Tabernacles. So they were able to have uh, two Thanksgivings, in essence. The founding fathers of the United States recognized that we should all acknowledge God for our blessings. He's the one from whom our blessings flow, as the song says. They were reminded, and they reminded us, that is, our patriarchs, to thank God for all his benefits. On October 3, 1789, President George Washington made a Thanksgiving proclamation. He stated in that proclamation, quote, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favors. That's from the Founders' quote daily. George Washington's Thanksgiving Proclamation. It is the duty of nations to acknowledge the supremacy and the sovereignty of God. But do our nations acknowledge that? We as God's people do, because we know where those blessings come from. Are we nationally and individually fulfilling that duty, that is, to acknowledge what President Washington described? And are we grateful for God's benefits? Certainly, our moral meltdown and decay illustrates the hardening of our national hearts. We'll turn to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. The Apostle Paul gave us this prophecy with which we're most familiar. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. We sure are experiencing that. For men will be lovers of themselves. Oh, they aren't keeping the great commandments of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving 
their neighbors, lovers of money. And, of course, that money has flown away in the stock market, trillions of dollars of loss, and the retirement funds of people have just been cut in half or more. Boasters, pride, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, no, not even keeping the fifth commandment, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Millions of Americans are committing the sin of ingratitude. Are you an unthankful person, or are you a thankful person? I asked my wife this morning who she thought were thankful people, and she mentioned several of your names here in the congregation. And I won't mention, I won't tell you who she said, but uh, on the way here, the Sabbath services, in the car, she thought again. She says, you know, people who are most thankful are those who have been baptized. And you think back right after your baptism, how thankful you were that all your sins were forgiven and you could begin to walk in newness of life, in a, in a new life. But is thankfulness just a cultural courtesy? Or is it something more important to God? Is a thankful attitude a required quality for godly character? Is thankfulness a part of your character? Do you in reality have a thankful heart? The title of the sermon is, Do You Have a Thankful Heart? Well, what kind of a heart do you have? Dr. Winnell recently gave a sermon, which I did not hear, I wasn't here, titled, A Godly Heart. He asked the question, have you ever considered the heart, what kind of a heart you have? How would someone who knows you very well describe your heart? I may repeat a few of his scriptures here, but let's briefly consider that question in the context of thanksgiving. Uh, what kind of heart did the ancient Israelites have? Let's turn to Hebrews, the third chapter, Hebrews 3. And, of course, in Hebrews 4, he talks about keeping the Sabbath, Someone say, well, there's no New Testament evidence of keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. Well, all you have to do is read Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and if you're going to enter into rest the same way God did, then you're going to do what he did and rest on the seventh day, as it says in Hebrews 4 and verse 4. That's not my point here, but I'm just uh, think of uh, Hebrews 3 and 4 together as a group. Hebrews 3 and verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. They saw God's miracles. He had water coming out of rock. He had uh, pheasants uh, so much that they, they couldn't even consume it all. They saw his miracles. They went through the Red Sea. And yet they hardened their hearts. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter into my rest. So they hardened their hearts. Beware, brethren, verse 12 of Hebrews 3, Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, which is called today, 
Today is the day, the dispensation in which we are called. God is holding us responsible for the truth that we have. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For you have, we have been partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, again repeating the same message, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the, as in the rebellion. We have to monitor our hearts. Do we have a hard heart? Or do we have a heart of flesh? Do we have a compassionate heart? Are we thoughtful, kind, forgiving? Verse 16, For who having heard rebelled, indeed it was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Well, they had a hardened heart. Let's turn to Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, Deuteronomy 5. And God expresses his feelings, his attitude towards hardening of one's heart. We must not let our hearts harden. And have you ever hardened your heart? I, I can think back of times when I was, uh, you know, I should have apologized to someone, but I hardened my heart. I was not going to uh, soften my heart, humble myself, and apologize. Well, eventually I did. I had to pray a lot uh, so that God would soften my heart. But here in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29, God says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Well, they didn't have the right kind of heart. Notice in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 29, back a couple pages, that our message of warning going out to the world will have a result in the Great Tribulation. That those who've heard that message may repent in the Tribulation. Verse 27 of Deuteronomy 4. And the Eternal will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Eternal will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there, from where? From tribulation. From there you will seek the eternal your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and in all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the eternal your God and obey his voice. So God is merciful. He will even give forgiveness to those who are in tribulation. So what kind of a heart do you have? What kind of a heart does do our national people have? I want to share with you, if you'll turn to Deuteronomy 8 and verse 7, a section from our program on Thanksgiving and our national purpose. And in this section we cover Deuteronomy 8 verse 7. In the first part of our program, we ask the question, where do our national blessings, prosperity, and abundance come from? Well, let's compare our own national and regional blessings with this divine promise in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, 
a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. God's creation uplifts the soul and spirit. Our national heritage includes fertile agricultural soil and rich mineral deposits for industrial development. But have we recognized and honored the source of those blessings? Will our Western nations last much longer? Consider God's warning here in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the eternal your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today. Have we in our Western Christian professing world heeded that warning? National sins produce national penalties. President Abraham Lincoln recognized that principle. During the dreadful Civil War, United States President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national fast day for April 30th, 1863. He stated, quote, I do by this my proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. President Lincoln went on to proclaim, listen to this, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord, end of quote. President Lincoln acknowledged that God in heaven is the true source of blessings nationally and individually. My friends, our national purpose must include acknowledgement of our Creator. Does your nation acknowledge the sovereignty of God? Or is your nation, my nation, so secular and unthankful that it has turned its back on God? Do you personally thank Almighty God for all the benefits we so often take for granted? Notice what the Apostle James wrote in James 1 and verse 17. Thank you. James 1, 17. We'll get to that one later. But uh, as you noticed, Abraham Lincoln said it is the duty of nations. I wonder where he got that from. We already read George Washington saying it is the duty of nations to acknowledge God. And, of course, our nations are not doing that. We saw here in Deuteronomy, uh, the 10th, the 8th chapter, where we read verse, I mentioned here on the telecast, uh, beware, verse 11 of Deuteronomy 8, beware that you do not forget the eternal your God by not keeping, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built uh, beautiful homes and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the eternal your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. So God gives a warning here. We heard in the sermonette that we praise God indeed. We thank God by living his way of life, by keeping his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. And we do not forget the eternal God because we're keeping his annual festivals, his holy days, and his weekly Sabbath. God tells us to remember the Sabbath day. I, thank, uh, I want to thank Mr. Baca for the uh, graphics in that. I thought it was just particularly beautiful to really review the heritage that God has given our nation because of the faith of Abraham 
and to see the richness that God gave us. And that richness, of course, is going to dissipate as God is going to punish us unless we turn to him totally and unreservedly. The Israelites had a hardened heart, and our nation particularly is turning away from God, and we are warning the nation to not turn away from God. Let's turn to Ezekiel, the 36th chapter. We saw that people coming out of the tribulation will have a softer heart, that those stony hearts are going to be changed to hearts of flesh. In Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, we read this during the Feast of Tabernacles. Ezekiel 36, and uh, starting in verse 24, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Verse 26 of Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, I hope all of that, of course, symbolic of having a heart that's compassionate, a heart that's thoughtful, that's loving its neighbor. I hope that all of us have that kind of heart. But we don't want a fat heart. And that is, let's turn to Isaiah, the sixth chapter. We take a look at all these different kinds of hearts briefly. We don't want a stony heart. We want a teachable heart. We want a loving heart. We want a thankful heart. Uh, we do not want what Isaiah discusses here in Isaiah 6, and starting in uh, verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah, 9, verse 10, uh, Isaiah 6, verse 10. Make the heart of this people dull, and their eyes heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Another version talks about their heart being fat. Here it says, the heart of this people is dull. No, we want to understand with our heart, as it says there in, in verse 10. But what does the heart symbolize? The Holman Bible Dictionary says the heart symbolizes the center of physical, mental, and spiritual life of humans. The NIV Study Bible says the center of one's being, including mind, will, and emotions. So it is the symbolic of who and what we are. Apparently there's a sensitivity with the word center and some uh, New Age philosophies of think, well, that's some kind of a center there. No, it's talking symbolically about who and what you are. Who and what you are is the spirit of God combined with the spirit of man in your brain making mind, mind power, that is spiritual mind power. So the heart is symbolic of the seed of life or strength, hence it means mind, soul, spirit, or one's entire emotional nature and understanding. I won't turn there, you know it so well, Jeremiah 17:9. the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or as the New King James margin has, incurably sick. Is that the way your heart is? NIV has beyond cure. I hope our hearts are not beyond cure. The NRSV has it, the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? 
Well, we can understand it because God reveals human nature to us, and we can recognize human nature. We need to recognize our own human nature, and of course that part of it that's rebellious towards God. What other kind of hearts are there? Of course, I won't turn there again, but Matthew 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But what is pure in heart? It's a heart, a mind, a spirit, a character that is thinking of those things that are, as Mr. Partian brought out in a sermon a couple weeks ago, uh, just, pure, lovely, of a, uh, without hypocrisy, without wranglings, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I'm, I'm mixing two, two scriptures. That's the wisdom from above. But thinking on those things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, if there be any virtue, there be any praise, think on those things. That's Philippians 4, verse 8. Let's take a look at a couple examples of individuals who did have a godly heart. Let's turn to Psalm 6, Psalm 6. And we heard in the sermonette about this individual, ancient King David. He was a man after God's own heart, which is in Acts 13, verse 22. As you're turning to Psalm 6, I might mention that Dr. Meredith wrote, an inspiring article, After God's Own Heart, about King David. That was in the Living Church News, September, October 2002, After God's Own Heart. King David here is uh, pleading with God because he's going undergoing certain trials and, and pain and suffering. And, of course, at the same time, uh, he is asking God to intercede for him. He's reasoning with God. O Lord... O Eternal, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. I've uh, prayed along that line when I've been in extreme pain, with my back pain. Have mercy on me, O Eternal, for I am weak. O Eternal, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O Eternal, how, how long? How long is it going to be before you intervene for me? Return, O Eternal, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. Verse 4. Is it wrong to ask God to save you? Of course not. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? So when you're pleading with God, David is giving him a reason to keep him alive. He says, you know, if I'm dead, Eternal, you're not going to hear me giving you any thanks. So, you know, you need to keep me alive so you can hear me giving you thanks. Is that the way you think? You know, one of their very purposes in life is to give God thanks. David reasoned with God to keep him alive for that very purpose. Let's turn to Daniel, the sixth chapter. We heard uh, of all these biblical examples of men and, of course, the saints who give thanks to God. Daniel 6 and verse 10. You know the scripture about praying three times a day, and Daniel was doing that even in spite of the threat of being thrown to lions. Daniel 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with the windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and, what? Gave thanks before his God 
as was his custom since early days. Not only was Daniel praying, as his custom was, knowing that he was going to be thrown to the lions for doing this, but he gave thanks to God. You give thanks to God knowing you're about to be thrown to the lions? But he did. And uh, Mr. Uh, Lyons in the sermonette uh, brought out the example of the ten lepers. But let's take a look at it again. Luke, Luke the uh, 17th chapter, how this one man that came back to give thanks was took action, as we heard in the sermonette. Luke 17 and uh, verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I'm thinking of giving a sermon on mercy. Uh, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever asked God for mercy? I've asked for, well, thank you. <laughs> I've asked God for mercy many times, and I hope you continue to do so. And they pleaded. They cried out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They lifted up their voices. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was, as they went, they obeyed him. Uh, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Again, it just seems that Jesus is pointing out that the Jews just weren't doing what the Samaritans were doing. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. So Jesus answered and said, verse 17, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. No, he returned to give thanks to the Lord for his healing. Turn to uh, Matthew, the 11th chapter, for another biblical example of someone who was thankful. And we heard that uh, summarized in the sermonette. But here's a special example. Uh, Jesus did thank God for the bread and for food, but here one time, verse 11, 25, Matthew 11, verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven. Yes, he thanked the Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for, it's, for so it seemed good in your sight. Well, Christ thanked God for revealing the truth, not to the high and mighty, but to those who are lowly and who would accept the truth. And, of course, I won't turn there, but he gave thanks when he took the seven loaves and fish. That's in Matthew 15, verse 35, and served the 4,000 men besides women and children. And at the Passover, it says he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from all of it. That's Matthew 26 and verse 27. So we've seen some examples here of Jesus, of Daniel, of David, uh, who gave thanks to God, and the one leper who came back. Let's take a look at some exhortations now to be thankful. In Ephesians, starting with Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul, of course, exhorts us to 
Be thankful, Ephesians 5, starting with uh, verse 15. And uh, in my King, New King James Bible has sections starting with chapter 5, walk in love through verse 7, walk in light through verse 14, and then walk in wisdom starting with verse 15 in Ephesians 5. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We have a uh, headquarters visiting program in which we bring in ministers from the field and who've never been here and give them a two-day orientation where they visit all the various departments and even open mail. And most, most commonly, one of the comments that is made is that, well, you are doing a tremendous amount of work with a few number of people working. And so we have to redeem the time while it is day. We have to work extra hard and to work effectively, to work efficiently. He goes on to say, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So we praise God with psalms and hymns and melody in our heart, but giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. We follow the example of Daniel, of Christ, and of course King David, and of, of the saints. Another one of my favorite verses here is Colossians, the second chapter, Colossians 2. And I have a little of Dr. Meredith's tea here. Actually, it's for me today. Mm. Colossians 2 and verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. Christianity is a way of life. It's 24-7. Walk you in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. So there are those strangers that come around that are coming up with their own strange doctrines and uh, go out on the twigs of the tree, and they're not, uh, they're not walking in the doctrine as they have been taught. And, of course, we're talking about true doctrine from the Bible. But notice the last part of it, abounding in it with thanksgiving, or as the NIV has, overflowing with thanksgiving or with thankfulness. So it's just a way of life. It isn't just, well, someone um, gave me this gift and I'm going to send them a thank you card. That's nice and we should be doing those things. But it's a whole way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of, uh, of meditating as well on what to be thankful for. Colossians 3, uh, verse 15, cross the page. Colossians 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or do, deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, it isn't just a courtesy that we do. It's a part of our character. 
It's a part of our thinking. Let's turn to First uh, Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. And, of course, this is a wonderful list of exhortations in chapter 5. Let's start with uh, verse 16. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. So, at any instant of time, you know, you should be able to pray to God. I told you about the one time when I was uh, with a church member in uh, as many decades ago, and uh, he was driving me, and I forget where we were going, but uh, he was looking at me as, we're, as he's driving, and I'm, I'm wondering what's going to happen here. And, of course, the car in front stopped, and he's keeping, and I went, oh, and I, you know, I prayed, help. You know, I didn't say it out loud. I think I prayed under my breath. Pray without ceasing. You pray any second or instantaneously. And thankfully, he put on the brakes, and we stopped just before smashing the car in front of us. Uh, I don't recommend you, dr- you ride with anyone who looks at you while uh, he's driving straight ahead. It's, it's not a wise thing to do. But the point is, I prayed instantaneously, and I'm sure you've done that at times when there's been an emergency or something of that nature. But he says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The telecast I gave, I quoted that scripture called Vital Keys to Happiness. One of the keys that we discussed was the matter of how to be happy, of course, is by being thankful. A thankful person will be a happy person. I quoted from Dennis Prager in his Reader's Digest article, A Simple Truth About Happiness. This is what he wrote. This is June 1988, uh, page 99. Quote, the first secret is gratitude. That is the first secret to happiness. All happy people are grateful. Ungrateful people cannot be happy. End of quote. Very simple, very straightforward. But I see you're shaking your heads, some of you in agreement, that you agree with that statement. Ungrateful people cannot be happy, but all happy people are grateful. Another book told, uh, titled How We Choose to Be Happy by Rick Foster and Greg Hicks put it this way, quote, happy people actively appreciate their lives and express gratitude and thanks to people around them, end of quote. I'll repeat that. Quote, happy people actively appreciate their lives and express gratitude and thanks to the people around them. End of quote. Well, let's turn to uh, Philippians 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4. So here are these exhortations to be thankful. And I'm sure by now that we, if we didn't before, we certainly know just how important it is when it's repeated over and over again. Philippians 4 and uh, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So whenever you're in a testy, anxious situation or attitude, God says, don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Well, that's, that's difficult to do. How can you be anxious for nothing? We get worried. We get concern, but one of the antidotes for anxiety is that you pray 
about anything that worries you. That was one of the principles I brought out on in that telecast. You pray about anything that worries you. And we are in uh, all kinds of uh, trials and tribulations and a world in turmoil. And people are stressed with uh, economic uh, pressures. So what do you do? Well, do you worry or do you to be concerned is a different approach. You should be concerned. And you want to try to find solutions to your problem. You define the, the problem. You acknowledge God and you ask for solutions and you uh, come up with various solutions. But here he says the way you ask in prayer is with thanksgiving. And the result is incredible. The peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God shows us a way that we can overcome some of those stresses. Another way of expressing thanksgiving, of course, is that we want to radiate God's love and joy and peace to others. And I've mentioned this before some time ago, but I'll mention it today. And one of those ways is by smiling. And it's amazing that uh, I remember the times that I've been glum and just walking across the ambassador campus and here's this beautiful girl coming with this bright smile. You know, that really changed my attitude very quickly to see someone smiling at me. And uh, particularly when you're dealing with complaints and, uh, you know, you go to customer service and, and, of course, Mr. Lyon's dealing with all kinds of vendors. You know, you smile and you, you get along better when you smile. There's a book written by Dr. Ilchi Lee uh, titled Brain Respiration, and uh, he wrote this, Smiling and laughing will have oxygen rushing to your brain in no time. Smiling and laughing are the essence of brain respiration, an educational method that optimizes the brain's functions through integrated exercise for the body and mind. Now listen to this. I don't know if I can believe it or not. Five minutes of smiling is better than five hours of working out. Now, so this coming week, I'm going to uh, cease from going to my routine, and I'm going to smile just for five minutes than working out for five hours. Now, again, listen to this. Ten seconds of smiling is the same as rowing a boat for three minutes. How many? Ten seconds of smiling. So... See, all you smiling people out there, you are having oxygen rushing to your brain right now. You may not know it, but apparently that's what's happening. We need to radiate God's love and joy and peace to others. I mentioned before about uh, George Washington's proclamation, Thanksgiving proclamation, when he said it's the duty of nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore his protection and favors. Well, Abraham Lincoln gave a proclamation on October 3rd, 1863. I'll read part of that proclamation. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed, that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added which are so extraordinary in nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. It has seemed to me fit and proper that we should be solemnly, reverently, 
and gratefully acknowledge, as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States, and also those who are in foreign lands, to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, and sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the imposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purpose to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. What a marvelous proclamation by our president. I would hope that our future presidents would do the same, but we'll see. What are we thankful for? We heard in the uh, announcements about Dr. Winnale's commentary that we should make a list, and I hope that we have. I think I've mentioned to you before about one minister's wife who was going through all kinds of trials and tests and had heard my mention the example of one member who had the habit every day of writing down five things to be thankful for. This minister's wife started doing it, and she told me at the time that she had now accumulated 2,500 uh, things to be thankful for over, over the ages. And she has continually had continued to do that ever since. The words thankful and thanksgiving occur in the New King James Version and seven times. So what are you thankful for? I've shared this with you before, but I will again. This is a brief prayer of thanks that I wrote April 9th, 1999. Thank you for the trees and the breeze. Thank you for the wind and the mind. Thank you for your mercy and for being so kind. Thank you for life and victory over strife. Thank you for Christ who is our life and for promises from above. We look forward to eternity with you in glorious love. I hope that some of you can write a brief poem of uh, thanks if you haven't done that. Let's turn to Psalm 103 where God shows us a listing of benefits for which we must be thankful. And I hope you have been thankful. Sometimes at night when I have difficulty going to sleep, I recite the first few verses of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You understand what God's name stands for. It's for his office, for his power, for his omnipotence, for his character. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And I've asked you before, how many of you have been saved by God when you had a life-threatening situation? And I know many times God has protected me and my wife on occasions uh, when there could have been a horrible accident 
and yet God protected us. And sometimes we're in accidents in which God protected our, protected our lives. So we need to be thankful. God redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and with tender mercies. What else can you be thankful for? I remember several times, the first time, actually, it was at Ambassador College. I'd come out of a uh, assembly given by Dr. George Geis, and it was a movie on uh, a senior center in a Jewish community and how these elderly people were still trying to enjoy life in their, their old age. And I came out in the front, and here was this beautiful egret fountain with the water flowing over the egrets, and I just stopped and thought, this is a wonderful moment, and I thank God for the moment. And I actually wrote a, an editorial for the Ambassador Portfolio, Be Thankful for the Moment. And I've never forgotten that. And even today, even around the office, sometimes I'll take a break and I'll go out the side door. I shouldn't tell all the people here at the office my secrets, but I, I'll come up here, I'll deliver some mail or talk to someone, and I'll go out the side door and go up the driveway around to the front of the building, and oftentimes the sun is shining, and I'll just stand there for a few moments in the sun and thank God for something and thank God for the moment. It's time to stop and smell the roses at times. And I think we can also thank God for special moments in our lives. We also, of course, thank God for the sacrifice of his son. We thank God for his grace and for his forgiveness. We thank God for the gift of his Holy Spirit. We thank God for angelic protection. We thank God that Jesus Christ is our great high priest who ever lives to intercede for us, Hebrews 7, verse 25. And we thank God that Jesus Christ is alive. We thank God that there is a future coming, that in spite of a great tribulation, in spite of a World War III, the world will not explode in a nuclear holocaust that is, life will be preserved because there is an elect on the face of the earth, Matthew 24:22. And we thank God for his great promises, which are sure, Second Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. And we're thankful for the true gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the same gospel Jesus Christ preached. We're thankful that he is coming, that we will be a part with him to teach all nations the way to lasting peace. As it says in the scriptures, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. It's going to happen whether we believe it or not. But we believe it and we're going to be a part of it. Dr. Meredith wrote in Your Ultimate Destiny, he quotes from Colossians 1, 26 and 27, which talks about the mystery of the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, quote, we need to be thankful for God revealing his great mystery to us, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Continuing in his booklet, Your Ultimate Destiny, Dr. Meredith writes, Yes, men have always wondered, why was I born? What is the purpose of life? If there is a real God, why does he try and test mankind so much and allow so much suffering to occur? Now the mystery is solved. If your mind and heart are open 
and you know the answer to these profound questions that have puzzled philosophers and scholars for centuries, listen to this, you should be everlastingly grateful and thankful to our God and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, for making us after their kind. So what do we thank God for? We thank God for understanding his purpose and his plan. We thank God that we're made in his image. We thank God that he's called us to be born into his family as his immortalized and glorified children. So how do we express that thankfulness? We heard in the sermonette how we can express thankfulness. We also express thankfulness by practicing servant leadership, and we'll have another uh, living leadership class here two weeks from today, Sabbath uh, morning. And we thank God by, and we thank others by serving through uh, e-cards. I received, a, my wife and I receive uh, e-greeting cards from time to time. Some of them are very, very inspiring. We just sent a couple uh, belated Thanksgiving e-cards yesterday, and uh, it's a very efficient and inspiring way of communicating and, and thanking. But let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and how else we express thankfulness. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and uh, again, one of those wonderful verses that you want to hang on to. He's already talked about the resurrection and says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 57. And verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we express our thankfulness by doing God's work. As Jesus said in John 4, verse 34, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. We uh, recently had the open door of CNBC, and we've been asked to pray for it. Um, in preparation for that, we have a promo that uh, Mr. Baca put together. It's only a 30-second promo, but I thought we'd share it with you uh, to see. This will go out on CNBC to promote uh, the Tomorrow's World telecast. Only God is able to declare the end from the beginning and able to make it come to pass. What does Bible prophecy reveal about Europe and the role of Rome in the near future? We're giving you the truth as a final warning from your God. Can you understand Bible prophecy? Yes, you can. Be sure to watch Tomorrow's World, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. Central European Time on CNBC. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, vital and uh, dynamic promo. So that will go to uh, 113 million uh, that people in uh, the U.K. and Europe and the Middle East uh, to promote the telecast. We still are going to be on a test uh, mode for the four weeks, uh, four Sundays in December. So, again, be praying for the success of CNBC going to 113 million television households. So we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we show thankfulness to God by doing his work, fulfilling the mission that he's given us. A thankful heart is also a loving heart. Do you have a thankful heart?
grateful heart and a loving heart. Let's turn to Mark, the 12th chapter, Mark 12. What I'm doing here is just introducing my next sermon because I don't have time to go into the loving heart, but we'll finish up with a thankful heart today. Mark 12 and verse 32, Mark 12 and verse 32. The scribe had just asked Jesus what was the first or the great commandment. And and, uh, Jesus, of course, told him the first great commandment and the second great commandment. But notice something here that the scribe is saying to Jesus. And how did Jesus react to the scribe's response to his mentioning the first and second commandment? Mark 12 and verse 32. Here's what the scribe... um, so I got the right, I'm oh, sorry, the wrong, got the right reference and just got the wrong page in my Bible here. Mark 12 and verse 32. So what did the scribe say? So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, was Jesus upset that maybe the scribe is doing one upmanship on him and, you know, trying to comment and lecture him? No. What did Jesus say? Verse 34, Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. But this, this scribe understood that You worship God. You love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, verse 33, and with all the soul and with all the strength. So do you have a loving heart as well as a thankful heart? God is the great giver. I started on the telecast to turn to James 1.17, so let's do that. James 1 and verse 17. Again, these are common verses for us, but powerful verses revelatory verses, truthful verses, James 1, 17. As we think about thanksgiving, we realize that the source of all our blessings is the great God in heaven. James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth, or in the King James, he begat us by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we thank God that he's called us to be his children. He's the father of lights. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. So we thank God for his abundant gift and his blessings. A thankful attitude is an important dimension in godly character. God wants us to have his character, his nature. So again, do you have a thankful heart. The world is descending into arrogance and unthankfulness. And at the same time, God is blessing his people richly with priceless promises, with priceless benefits and a mission to prepare the way for Christ's return in the kingdom of God on earth. So, brethren, let's make sure that we always have a thankful heart. Remember the Apostle Paul's admonition we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you.